0: You've been loading up on things from Walmart. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. (laughs) Say what now? 5% 5 back. back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online, on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You are listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the lost, the mysterious, and the murdered. For two weeks, I've told the story of Russell Williams, a Canadian Forces Base commander who pled guilty to over 88 counts against him, including two for murder. Williams was head of Canadian Forces Base Trenton in Ontario. All this talk of military bases got me thinking about another base, one in the United States, Did you know that Camp Grayling, on the shores of Lake Marguerite in northern Michigan, is the largest National Guard base in the United States? Opened in 1914 on land donated by a local lumber baron, it's on almost 150,000 acres spread over three counties. More than 20,000 troops train at Camp Grayling each year. The base brings jobs and money into a small town that relied on the lumber industry, then tourism to sustain itself. Grayling is also the county seat of Crawford County, Michigan. If you map Michigan like I do, using the back of your left hand, Grayling is about an inch below the cuticle on the nail of your middle finger. Traverse City is the nearest big city, and it's 50 miles west of Grayling. Despite the size and significance of the base, Grayling is a small town, a two-mile-by-two-mile two square with the Osable River running through it. Grailing hasn't changed much in 50 years. It hasn't changed much in 100 years. The Rialto Theater on Michigan Avenue has shown movies since 1915. And after the show, be sure to go to Dawson's for a milkshake. The population of the town hasn't changed much either. It's hovered around 2,000 people since the early part of the 20th century. Just last week, I was traveling through northern Michigan and spent some time here, which left me looking for Perry Otto Corlew, someone who went missing from Grayling almost 45 years ago. Perry Corlew was 17 years old, finishing up high school and trying to stay out of trouble. The younger of Roberta and Dewey Corlew's two children, Perry had been arrested for breaking and entering a few months before. The Grayling police put Perry on probation. It was a Friday night, March fifteenth, 1974. Perry was driving a 1971 Buick Skylark that he was in the process of buying. While he was out, perhaps after a movie at the Rialto or a milkshake at Dawson's, the Buick collided with a parked car. The call to Grayling police reporting the incident came in about 8.30 p.m. The incident was described as minor, a fender bender. It's unlikely that Perry would have been seriously injured in the collision. Since Grayling is a small town and mid-March isn't exactly tourist season, it's likely that the car he struck belonged to a local. Did Perry know the car's owner? Did they stay and wait for police after the incident, even though Perry had left? Or could it be that this wasn't Perry's first or second accident? He had a poor driving record. Although, does that mean accidents or speeding tickets or both? We can't say. Grayling's finest responded to the scene, but found only shards of glass from the Skylark's headlight. Corlew had fled the scene of the accident, heading east, out of town. Around 10 p.m. that night, full dark and still winter in the heart of northern Michigan, a trucker headed south on I-75 to Ohio radioed in to report a car on the side of the freeway. Driver's door ajar, lights on. Deputies from both Roscommon County and Crawford County responded to the scene of the abandoned Buick, its headlight damaged from the earlier accident on Michigan Avenue. The driver's door open, engine running, no sign of the driver, just as the trucker reported. Perry Corlew was gone. It was snowing that night, which isn't unusual for March in northern Michigan. The car was left at the Crawford County, Roscommon County line. This is why deputies from both counties responded to the report of an abandoned vehicle. The darkness and weather prevented a thorough search of the area. There were no footprints found leading away from the Buick. I cannot find much information on what the area was like around his car. Part of that could be the weather and darkness made a comprehensive search difficult. I also don't know if the Ohio-bound trucker stopped and walked up to the car to check on the occupants, or if he spotted the vehicle as he drove past and radioed it in. And when I say it was snowing, I need to clarify, it's what we in the North call a wintry mix, meaning it was snowing, but it was very wet and icy, almost sleeting, but definitely snowing. During the day on March 24th, temperatures were in the 40s, making the road surface warm and could prevent snow from sticking, but snow would cling to other areas like trees or grass. This could explain a lack of footprints. Also, if salt trucks had been out, or plows keeping the road clear, that could explain it as well. What happened between 8.30 p.m. when Perry left Grayling and 10 p.m. when the car was found? This was a 10- or 15-minute drive from the theater on Michigan Avenue to the county line. Did he stop somewhere? Meet up with friends? Could he have handed the car off to someone else? Did Perry realize that he wanted to leave it all behind and stop the car at the county line, walking away from the Buick with his thumb out? While today's listeners can't imagine hitchhiking, especially at night, it was pretty common in the 70s. Nor can we imagine picking up a hitchhiker especially a lone male at night along the very quiet, sparsely-traveled freeway of 1974? The four lanes of I-75 were fairly new, being completed about a year earlier, taking the interstate from a two-lane road to a four-lane highway. I can say that in 1974, it's unlikely that Corlew was wearing his seatbelt. It's possible that while it was just a fender bender on Michigan Avenue, he could have hit his head on the hard plastic steering wheel of the Buick, we also know Perry didn't have a cell phone to call someone from. Back in Grayling, fresh on people's minds was the recent disappearance of 33-year-old Richard Lepsey in 1969. Lepsy, who managed a grocery store in Grayling, vanished in the middle of his shift on October 29th. Lepsy often left the store on his lunch break. This time, he left for lunch, and he didn't come back. He did call the store's assistant manager to say he wouldn't return to work that day. This was the last time anyone heard from him. There was $2,000 missing from the store safe. That's about $13,000 in today's money. Owners of the store, a chain local to northern Michigan called Glens, said they weren't concerned about the theft. Lepsey was a trusted, long-time employee, and they didn't want to press charges. They were concerned about his safety and well-being when they spoke with the press, asking Richard to please come back. Lepsi's car, a station wagon with wood-paneled sides, was found November 2nd, 1969, west of Grayling, at the Cherry Capital Airport in Traverse City. The car was unlocked. Half a pack of cigarettes were on the dash, and yes, it was the brand that Lepsi favored. The keys were still in the ignition. There was no record of him buying a ticket or boarding a flight, but remember, flying in the 60s was very different from flying today. If he were paying in cash, he could have given a false name, boarded a plane, and disappeared. Lepsi, who left behind a wife and children, was pronounced dead in 1976. His daughter, Lisa Lepsey, continues to look for her father. If you want more information about lepsi's disappearance, I recommend you check out the Thin Air podcast. They covered his story in episode 7 and go over the theory that Robert Richard Lepsi, who vanished from Grayling, became the notorious D.B. Cooper. Back to our missing teenager. Corlew's family looked for Perry. Was he with a friend? Was he taking a break and would come home soon? Spring arrived, the snow melted, and there were no answers. Anglers descended on Grayling. The Aisable offers some of the best fly fishing in the world. Still, no sign of Perry. His birthday came and went in July with no word from the tall, eyeglass-wearing teenager. I should mention, Perry was well over six feet tall, perhaps as tall as six foot four, making him literally stand out in a crowd. While Grayling's population is about 2,000 people, tourists flock to the area. It's a sportsman's paradise. In the spring, summer, and fall, the area is a haven for anglers, and the rivers are busy with kayaks and canoes. The fall brings hunting season, sportsmen with bows and rifles spending days in the woods. Winter welcomes skiers, snowmobilers, and brave ice fishermen whose shanties line the thick layer of ice on Lake Marguerite. In the 1970s, the lake had public access points. After September 11th, these were closed for security reasons because of the National Guard base. In 1975, Grayling police sent Corlew's dental records to Louisiana to see if he was a match to a John Doe. He was not a match, and sadly, his dental records were lost during the process. But Corlew had an arrest record. Remember his breaking and entering arrest? Grayling PD didn't fingerprint him when they brought him in. No dental records, no fingerprints. This left law enforcement with little ability to search for Corlew in the era before technology streamlined the process. Not long after Perry disappeared, his parents moved away from Grayling. Dewey Corlew, Perry's father, was transferred, and they settled in Prudenville, Michigan. Rudenville is located 30 miles south of Grayling, off of I-75. Dewey and his wife, Roberta, would move back to Grayling in 1990. In 1978, his parents thought they spotted Perry in the background of a national news report. Remember, Perry's really tall, maybe as tall as 6'4". They contacted the news station, trying to track down where the footage was taken. Sadly, they were unable to learn specifics, and the potential lead went nowhere. For 15 years, the case was quiet, no new information, no sign of their son, but the story would surface in the press once in a while, trying to stir interest, hoping to lead Perry home. In the early 90s, some interesting things happened. The Corlew family was contacted by someone who said they grew up in Grayling, and that the family should place ads in newspapers in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan to find their son. This clue isn't explained particularly well in press coverage of his disappearance. Had someone seen him in the U.P.? Was someone involved in his disappearance, keeping vital information to themselves? In 1992, the FBI created a computer-generated photo of what Corlew might look like at the age of 40. Also in 1992, Perry's older brother, Michael, a Vietnam veteran, received a very strange phone call. Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. The call came from someone mimicking cartoon voices and asking him how he liked them. This was a game the boys had played when they were kids. Michael thought it could be his brother. But the caller hung up without saying anything further or identifying himself. Michael notified the police, hoping they could trace the call, but like previous clues... It didn't lead them any closer to finding Perry. In 1996, someone from Grayling thought they saw Perry Corlew at a bar in eastern Tennessee, that the two made eye contact and recognized each other. But the suspected Perry Corlew left before he was approached. Oddly enough, this tip wasn't shared with law enforcement until 2014. In 2001, a northern Michigan TV station 9 and 10 News, did a feature on the disappearance of Perry Corlew. In 2006, The Avalanche, a newspaper serving Grayling and Crawford County, did a story on the Corlew family. It was at this time that a DNA sample was collected from Perry's mother, Roberta. This gave law enforcement a tool to use in tracking any unidentified remains that could be the missing man. Corlew's disappearance leaves us with a couple of options. If Perry abandoned the car, did he stick his thumb out and get a ride? If so, did he head south, perhaps to warmer climates? Grayling is in the heart of the Michigan snow belt. Winters can be brutal. The lure of Florida or California is strong. Did he go north to the Upper Peninsula like someone suggested to the family in the 1990s, or even into Canada? A short run to the other side of the freeway and a trucker may have taken him north. Or... He could have struck his head during the accident and driven south in a daze. He was already in trouble with the law for his breaking and entering incident and damaged a car he hadn't even paid for yet. Then he fled the scene of an accident. Did Perry stumble into the thick woods along the freeway, succumbing to the elements and leaving his family and friends forever? I hope that Perry Corlew made his way south and started over started fresh, found a job, and met someone nice to share his life with. That's the happy ending to this story we all look for. I hope that Perry wasn't injured or despondent and lost in the woods of Michigan. His brother still searches for him. His parents, who are still alive but in frail health, they still hope that their son, their youngest boy, will make it home. Perry Corlew was last seen the evening of March 24th, 1974. At the time of his disappearance, he was approximately 6 foot 3 inches tall and weighed 160 pounds. He had brown hair and green eyes. If he is alive today, he would be 60 years old. Richard Lepsi was last seen October nineteen 1969. At the time of his disappearance, he was approximately 6 feet tall, 190 pounds, with receding black hair. If he is alive today, he would be 80 years old. For more information on the Richard Lepsey as D.B. Cooper theory, check out the book, Still Missing, by Michigan author Ross Richardson. If you have information about the disappearance of Perry Otto Corlew or of Robert Richard Lepsi please contact the Crawford County Sheriff's Department at 989-348-4616. You can find additional information and links on our website, www.alreadygonepodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Already Gone Podcast. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please make sure to subscribe to the show and tell your friends. If you have comments, feedback, or suggestions, you can email me, host at com or find me on Twitter at alreadygonepod. I want to thank Luke Superior for our music. If you enjoy Luke and want to hear more from him, you can find him on SoundCloud. As always, I appreciate you listening to the Already Gone podcast. And until next time, be safe. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart Online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. (laughs) Say what now? 5% 5 back! back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart Online, on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.